Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Mike Weatherall has been a successful evangelist and a pastor for over 40 years. You're sure to enjoy this message preached at God's Bible School and College School Revival many years ago that he titles, Love Your Neighbor. We appreciate so very much the help of the Lord and what God has been doing, and I trust the Lord will continue to help us tonight. I'm, I'm going to um, actually break some rules tonight. I guess I'm not. I don't have what you call an official outline. I guess that's all right, isn't it? Well, I don't anyway. <laughs> but if you will turn with me to. St. Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Mark, chapter 12. <laughs> Starting at verse 28, Mark, chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And that thou love thy neighbor, the Lord, excuse me, and that thou love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The scribe said unto him, well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and all the strength. And to love his neighbor as himself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And Jesus saw that he answered discreetly and said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. Let's pray. Father, we come into thy presence again tonight. We pray that you will touch this thine worthy servant. May your will be accomplished in this service. We need you so much tonight. We appreciate all the help that you've given in the past. But Lord, this is a new time. We need a new touch. We pray that your will will be accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night we talked to you about the divine love of God in our heart and how it works. And 
I guess I don't know how to explain all of it as to the workings of the Spirit in our life, but I do know one thing, that once God has cleansed our heart from sin, there is a continual exercise of growing in grace. God continues to reveal himself to us and show us areas of our life that needs to be worked on. Amen. It would be nice if we could get everything at one trip or two trips or whatever it may take as far as when God saves us and then when he sanctifies our heart. It would be wonderful if when he sanctified us we could just get all the grace that we needed and God had all the minds perfected in every way. But it doesn't happen that way. I tried to talk to you last night about how the Lord was able to teach us to love that enemy and the the idea of what God's love in our heart may do. Tonight I want to just kind of continue in that area, except maybe in a little different side of the coin tonight, because I want to talk to you about loving not necessarily your enemies, but perhaps, you know, in our at least in our church world, so often we let the winning of souls and going out and bringing people to Christ, we kind of leave that up to the other groups, you know, until in many, many of our churches there is, there is a, a, a sense of, of dying uh, where you've got a, maybe just a small few older people and, and it looks as though God's gone on vacation. And I think it comes from a mentality sometimes that really, if I just live this life and I dress a certain way and I, you know, pay my tithe and I go to church and I'm a good moral individual and I've been to the altar twice, we somehow grab this uh, idea that that will be all it takes for me to get to heaven. And many times we just sit in our pews. Now, I know you don't, but I know a lot that do. And I guess I'm alarmed and bothered at what I see, the lack of concern and burden on the hearts of those that call themselves born-again Christians that love God with all their heart, their mind, and their soul, and their neighbor as themselves, when there seems to be no desire really to get out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Let me just tell you something, young people, right from the very beginning, if you will be busy in the master's business, it'll help you in a lot of spiritual problems. Get over them. People get into spiritual darkness. They get into real spiritual problems when they are not busy for God. They seem to just sit and almost waste away and sit and really get very little done. And we're always waiting for somebody else to get the job done. If I were to ask you tonight, and by the way, I get extra time because I didn't this morning, so I get double time tonight. Is that? <laughs> But if I were to ask you this morning, or this evening, if I would ask you this morning, I, I didn't though, did I? But if I were to ask you tonight, how many of you, and you could honestly say in all your heart, preacher, I love the Lord my God with all of my heart, my mind and my soul and my strength, and my neighbor as myself. I would imagine most of us here could raise our hand and say, preacher, that's exactly how I feel. I graduated in 1982. I wanted to tell you that just so you'd know. Amen. 
I may tell you again before it's over. <laughs> but I graduated from here in 1982. And, you know, I was busy, busy. I had been working 50 hours a week. I was taking 14 to 16 hours as far as college courses. And, uh, and I, I managed departments. And not only on top of that, I was Sunday school superintendent. I was a youth leader. And then I, I just, on t when I had extra time, I decided that I needed to start nursing home services. So on Saturdays, I had two nursing home services in my spare time. And so if you were to ask me when I left Bible school to my first little church, if you were to ask me, preacher, do you love God with all your heart, with your mind and your soul and your neighbors yourself, I would have stood straight up. I would have looked you square in the eyes and I would have said absolutely, positively, I love everybody in this world. And I did. But you know, God has a lot to teach us. And there's more to it by just saying it. Jesus said, show me by your actions. Talked to a man some years ago, and he was pretty proud of himself. He said, you know, I've been working at that plant for 15 years, and nobody yet knows that I'm a Christian. He's pretty proud of himself. And what he was trying to say is, I just don't push the gospel on anybody. But you know, I read the scriptures that tells me that Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Amen. And so you see, young people, there is a sense in which when we serve God, and when we serve God with all of our heart and our mind and our soul, there is a sense in which we are lifting him up, which ought to be drawing to Christ. Amen? I, I was concerned about where I was going to go. My first church, I, my denomination that I was with, you know, I was at Bible school here, and of course they had their own, and I was really, really worried and concerned where I was going and how I was going to get this accomplished. And, and I talked to my wife and talked to some other buddies in class, and, and they pretty well have theirs, you know, down where they were going, and they asked me, don't know for sure. But I well remember when this thing began to jail. I well remember when I got the phone call and said, are you interested in coming? I said, well, sure. I mean, I'll pray about it. You know, I, you always have to pray about it. You don't understand. We, they, we want you to pray about it. I said, sure. And my wife is standing right next to me, and I get the phone call, and, and they're telling me all about this beautiful church. And I'll never forget. In fact, I, if I'm not mistaken, look like Brother Uvel's back there. He's the fellow that called me back there. I'll never forget it. I remember when the phone call came, and, and, it, it, was, and it was like something like this, if I remember correctly. Something like, you know, we got a nice church. And, of course, we talked about the, the kind of church. It was a colonial front. Of course, my mind automatically, when you think of a church like that, there's a colonial front. I mean, it must be some large church. So my wife is listening to me as I'm taking on the information and I'm telling her as I'm getting told, this is what it's like. I told her, okay, honey, this is great. And my, oh, wonderful. It's, it's a new church building. Yes, it's got nice interior. Yes, it, you know, central heating and air. Yes, and boy, all of a sudden I'm thinking, God, this must be some big church. Boy, this is going to be wonderful. You know, after all, I've got my degree now. No wonder everybody's wanting me. <laughs> and then 
question came now. I'm sure you probably wondering what they're running. Well, of course, I, it really didn't bother me because I figured it was somewhere around 200. I mean, after all, a church like that, I mean, new church and new pews, it's just nice area. It's got, and I just, my mind began to just really, you know, go on out there and dream. And, and then I said, well, well, sure, you know, of course, it, it really, and, you know, I took on the spiritual approach, you know, it doesn't matter if God is in this thing, that's what counts. Well, I was really spiritual. And so I remember, well, when, when he made the statement to me, well, just want you to know, Mike, this thing has great potential out here. But the doors have been closed for six months. I said, oh. I looked at my wife and she said, what, what? I said, well, it, it, it's got a lot of potential. It's only been closed six months. She said, What? And of course, the very normal thing comes to her mind. I don't know that I even thought of it. The thing comes to her mind like it will all ladies. How are we going to live? What are you going to do for work? Me being the more spiritual one of the two. Me being the, <laughs> the great discerner, you know. I looked at her and I said, honey, God will supply for us. She was more practical. I had more faith. Amen. Well, to make a long story short, we made our way out to this little church. I was given the names of the individuals. And, and I remember, of course, it, since it was closed, we didn't even have service. The, the first, actually, it was the, we got there on a Tuesday, I think, somewhere around Monday or Tuesday, because we, we loaded up in Cincinnati on Saturday. My wife had just given birth to our second son, Aaron. He's here somewhere. And he was about not even a week old, hardly. She got out of the hospital on Friday. We loaded up the truck on Saturday. Praise God. In fact, we put her on a mattress in the middle of the living room floor with that brand new baby, and we loaded the truck around her, bless your heart. <laughs> I'm going to my first church. God's going to help us. You know, I used to dream, man. I, in fact, I remember getting out there those first few days and I'd walk around that church and I would look around it and there was some, there was some land around it and I can remember thinking, we're going to have to move this wall out. We're going to have to push this wall out that way or we're going to have to build this way. And boy, I began to really dream. I hadn't started yet, but I can sure dream. But I had the names. And so on Wednesday night, we went to the local church there, just my wife and I and some of her family members. And, and uh, on Thursday, I'm going to start my first calling project. Oh, this is great. I've worked five years for this. Man, I've gone to school. They've told me everything I need to know. I mean, you know how it is. When you get out there, you're just fresh out of school. This is going to be great. So I remember getting up in the morning and it was 90 degrees out there in, in that little state of Oklahoma. I mean, it was hot and in the middle of July. But I got up on a Thursday morning early, went out and washed and waxed my car. I had one of those real nice luxury sedan cutlass Oldsmobiles. I mean, it looked like a Cadillac almost. It had the wire spoke wheels and, and the Landau roof. And, and it had a real cloth interior. And it had power window seats and door locks. And everything about it was power sharp. I knew I had to have a nice car to go to my first pastorate. Amen. 
Well, that's the truth. And so I was ready. I remember getting up early that morning, washed the wax that thing. I went and put my three-piece suit on. You know, remember when they had those double-knit suits, you know, that would smother you to death that don't breathe? I had that thing on. Every hair was in place. My shoes were just spit shined. I mean everything. I had a pencil. I had a legal pad, you know, on a clipboard. I had all three of those people's names down and their addresses where they lived. <laughs> this is my first day on the job. Friend, I was the epitome of organization. <clears throat> Aren't you impressed yet? remember as I got out there, I said, this is great. Man, I had my map ready. I knew right where they was going to go. And, and I was told that, that there were three, three individuals. Of course, there was one that was a couple. Then there was one that was a widow lady. And then there was another that was, a, and she, of course, had a little maid. And then there was another lady that her husband wasn't a husband. Uh, wasn't a husband. Oh, brother. Her husband was not a Christian. <laughs> Hang with me now. See, I don't have an outline. I get in trouble when I do that. Her husband wasn't a Christian, but she was a saint of God. I thought, well, that's great. So what I thought to do is I would start with the family first, the husband and wife. And, and they would, you know, they, were, they would be a kind that, that would get behind me and, and support me. And I was excited about that. And so, you know, my mind was really, because I knew this young couple that I'm going to go see would be, an, would be a couple that, that would be right behind me. And I, they were just chomping at the bit for a new preacher to come. And so, boy, I start across town. In fact, the day before I even went and got me a haircut, and they called it crazy days out there, and friend, it was true. I got one of the craziest haircuts you could ever imagine. I thought, Lord, it was in a barber college. I had no idea that's what it was. I'm learning all these things. I actually went to another place to get it fixed up so I could look right on my first day of calling. I wanted to make a good impression. That's okay, isn't it? Is that all right, Dr. Brown? That's okay. You're supposed to do that, aren't you? Well, I took off across town, went across Main Street, went got 1st Street, 2nd Street, 3rd Street, 4th Street, 5th Street, and every street that I went got worse and worse and worse. And I'm thinking to myself, I must have the wrong address. These people must live somewhere else, and there must be something else going on. And so I looked at the map, and sure enough, no, it's, it's, it's E 16th, and, and, and so surely, but man, it must be. Oh, it's the right address. I kept driving. I got to 16th Street. I turned left. And I'm telling you, the houses that were in the middle of town were nice kind of bungalow houses, you know, and maybe, uh, you know, just little frame houses. And then they turned into little shacks and then to shanties and then to a glorified doghouse almost. I thought, Lord, I'm on our own side of town. But I turned down anyway and I went down the street and I'll never forget when I got in front of that very first house in my whole ministry. Now, this is the very first call that I'm making as a pastor. I look at that place, I thought, oh, dear God. You know, they never, this is the kind of, they had a lot of, a lot of, you know, yard ornaments. They really did. And in fact, they even had a winding pathway to the porch. Because there was an old lawnmower here that with no, with no motor and the weeds had grown up over there. And there was an old bicycle here and a transmission over there. And there was just a, an old mud path that wound its way around everything that got up to the porch. When you got on the porch, it was full of newspapers from World War I and two and three and four and all kinds. 
And you know really what I was doing? I was looking for the junkyard dog. I was looking everywhere. I thought there's a dog in here somewhere. There's got to be a dog somewhere. And I don't know, Brother Avery, I think it would be a good idea if somewhere in the, in the process of four or five years you could give some kind, of, uh, some kind of a class on how to deal with dogs in the pastor. They never told me that. And I have found every time they're trained. They're trained that when you go up on the porch, they're quiet. They don't say a word until you're out of the car, up on the porch. They just look at you then and grin. (laughs) And you know you're in trouble or for supper one. I'm not sure, but it's not good. So maybe they ought to have a class on that and how to, you know, deal with dogs. But I couldn't find one. I'm looking for one. I just knew there was one somewhere. I went ahead and had my little legal pad with me, had their name. I stood straight up, squared my shoulders, and I rapped three times on the door. And I stood back waiting to meet this nice young couple. No one told me their age necessarily. I just assumed it. See, it was my fault. I, I assumed that they were a young couple. I knocked on the door. Nobody came. And I thought, well... I've done what I could, you know, (laughs) about the best I can do. And I thought, well, I think I'll try one more time. But before I did that, I decided to look in. And when I did, I noticed there was really no, it was kind of one of those half doors with a glass in it and there was no curtains on it. And you couldn't see it anyway because it had peanut butter and jelly and whatever else. I have no idea what was on that window. I really wasn't interested in finding out either. But I remember sitting there or standing there looking. I thought, oh, Lord. What am I going to do? They, they didn't tell me this kind of thing. I'm not sure if I'm really ready to deal with these kind of people. Wrapped on the door again, nobody came. And I thought, man, well, I guess I've done the best I can. I got my little pad out and I marked their name off. And I felt pretty well relieved that I wouldn't even have to deal with them. I thought I'd come back in a few months maybe and check on them. I made my way back down to my car, turned the car on, got the maximum air going, you know, and I pulled it in drive, and I looked in my rearview mirror. Oh, Lord. It's always a good idea to look in your mirror before you pull out, and I did. As I got ready to pull out, I saw it coming. It was a truck or a part of a truck or some kind of a truck. I don't know what, what it was. Maybe a tank would be better, but it was all different colors. It had, a, it had a 57 Chevy Fender on one side. It had a 36 on the other. It had a, I don't know, it had some kind of bed on it. It had fenders that were so friendly, it would just wave at you going down the street. This thing was something. I looked at that, I thought, oh, Lord. And I could see through the windshield there was three people in there, three And I thought, oh, I I didn't know they, well, there must be three in the house. And I thought, well, maybe it's not them. Probably it isn't them. Maybe they'll just drive on by. So I just sat still and not about to move, praying it would not be them. But sure enough, I had that old gut feeling, you know, it's going to be them. And sure enough. They, it sounded like a tank. The muffler had been gone, you know. I, and they pulled up behind me and stopped. I thought, oh, dear Lord. So I said, well, all right, I've got to be a good preacher. I've got to be a good pastor. I might as well go ahead and introduce myself of the first church here in town. I got out of the car, straightened my tie, walked back to them. And I'll never forget the greeting that I got. 
when I got back and I could actually see those guys because you see the window, uh, the windshield was so filthy dirty I could hardly see inside it. But I remember when I got back just to the, the door and I looked, the windows were down. That's the only air condition they had, of course. I looked inside and I saw an office looking fella I think I'd ever seen. His hair was going every which way. His glasses was on at a 45. I promise you one eye was looking this way. The other one was looking under the other side. And he looked at me and said something like this. Welcome, preacher. I said, well, yeah. Hey, how, how you doing? I, I'm Reverend Weatherall. He said, my name is Henderson. I said, Mr. Henderson, I, I, I'm so glad to meet you. And he stuck his hand out. And when he did, friend, honestly, young people, I wanted to recoil. I'd never seen fingernails that long. And he had tomatoes on one side and potatoes over here. I mean, they were filthy dirty. I mean, really, those, it was, when he stuck his hand, I thought, oh, Lord. And, and so I went to grab his hand, and I shook it just a little bit. And he said, man, we're glad to have you. I mean, friend, then all of a sudden, I heard this thing on the inside, or I heard the noise on the inside, and somebody was just kind of copping their hands real fast. And I looked in there, and I saw his little wife. Please, don't misunderstand me. I am not making fun. I'm trying to tell you, but I just thought I loved everybody. I just thought I had no problem with anybody. I could just love them all. But as she got in there and began to clap her hands, I could hear her little voice saying, We've been praying with you. We've been praying with you. Then God went in you to our church. Did you understand what I said? I didn't understand her either. But it was something like that. And I looked. And when I saw her, I knew it that her elevator didn't go all the way up. I knew there was a problem. I thought, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. They got out of the car. He walked over to my little car, and he got out and kind of kicked the tire, and he said something like this. He said, man, got a nice car, preacher. I said, yeah. Yeah, we got a nice car. And that third individual got out of the truck on the other side, made his way around. This is the only time I ever saw him. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that his fingernails actually were growing. He had evidently had a pair of gloves on. And, and he obviously, and his father told me he was shell-shocked in the war. And, and his eyes were glassy. He was looking at which way. But he stuck his hand out. And his fingernails had literally growed under his fingers. Until I didn't even want to get close. Finally, I shook his hand. And he went on, stumbled on in the house. And I told him goodbye. I'll see him someday. I had two more calls to make. Do you know what I did? I went home, began to weep, cry, say, God, you mean I worked five years for this? You mean I've come all the way out here and this is the kind of people you want me to work with? Lord, I, I, I've done, I've worked hard and, and I didn't envision this kind. Is this what I've got to work with? And, and while I'm just kind of pouring out my heart and feeling sorry for myself to God, the scripture comes to my mind. I looked on my right hand, refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. And the Lord spoke to me so gently and said, would you love these people for me? I said, yes, Lord. If you'll help me, because Lord, they're just not my type. I'd just soon have 
nice, clean people. I, you know, Lord, I, I, and I struggled. But I remember when I just put it there on the altar, Lord, I'll do my best. The next day I got good courage. I decided I was going to go see that second one. And her name was, was Sister Eula. And you know, I can remember in my mind's eye and, and she's the one that had the maid. So you know what I began to think? I began to think that, that she probably is the one that had money, you know. And that'll be great because if anybody has a maid, they have money. And so that'll be wonderful. And so sure enough, I, I decided I'd go see them next. And then, and then I'd go see the other little lady that uh, was, you know, just had a husband that wasn't a Christian. And, and then I'd be done. Got all ready. Got my little suit on, made my way across town. Got to the little frame house in the middle of town. Sure enough, on the right side, there was a little bungalow. It was nice. And I thought, oh, this has got to be it. This will be wonderful. I'll never forget as I walked up, I was really encouraged. I knocked on the door. As I knocked on the door, I heard little feet coming to the door. And sure enough, when they opened the door, I thought, oh, no. Because she began to smile and clap her hands just like the last lady did. And I could tell this poor lady is missing a few something. And I thought, Lord, no. And she began to say the same thing. We're so glad that God has brought you to us. Oh, we've been praying for you that God would bring you to us. And I said, uh, yes, and who are you? She said, I'm a Norma. I'm a Norma. I'm, I'm Eula's maid. I'm her friend. And I knew exactly what I had. And I thought, oh, Lord. I've got another situation. And she was one of those gals, friend. And I promise you, young people, she was one of those. Whenever they talk to you, they get right in your face. You've seen them, haven't you? They get right close to you. And the more they talk to you, the closer to your nose they get. And, and she was one that did that. And, and she had a problem. She had false teeth. And every time she talked, they click. You know what I'm talking about. I know you none of you have false teeth out there. But one of these days. But she had all a problem. She just forgot to clean them, you know. And I guess she figured they'd just get dirty again. And, and she had what you call halitosis. You know what that is, don't you? It didn't take long to find out. In fact, when she got right in my face, she said, we're so glad that you have come. You know, ah. and I thought, oh, Lord, I'm trying to back away. She's coming right up to me, and I'm telling you, it's so bad, my tie began to curl up. <laughs> I thought, Lord. Then she said to me, would you like to meet you? Would you mind? I said, sure, I will. I'll never forget it as I went into the house. I'm exaggerating here just a little bit, but you know, Eula was a big gal. She was what you call corpulent. You know what that means? That means she was big enough to have her own ring meeting. <laughs> she was a big gal. She sat in that overstuffed chair and she overstuffed the overstuffed chair. <laughs> She's sitting there. She looked like mm. that's what she was doing. She's looking at me and she said something like this. Welcome. I thought, oh, not another one. She said, welcome, pastor. And I said, yeah, you know, and she said, fine. We got to talk and I talked to her. I told her who I was and she said, yes, we've been praying for you. Did you ever talk to somebody you wanted to wind them up? 
that's how she was. She talked slow. She walked slow. She ate slow. I'm sure she slept slow. I'm, I'm telling you, everything she did was in low gear. But she looked at me and we talked and so I had a word of prayer and, and she wanted to be a lady, you know, this is her pastor now and, and she wanted to show me to the door. Never forget it. She got those big old arms on the end of those overstuffed chairs. She said, I don't know what the noise was, but she went, and she tried to get up and she got almost up and back down she went. Dust went everywhere. And so I'm looking at her. I'm, what do I do? I, I want to help her. I'm a good preacher. You know, I've just had prayer with her. And so she kind of rocks a little bit. And she goes again the second night. She tries to get up. And she almost gets up. Back down she goes. So I wanted to help her. And I had thought just for a fleeting second. I think what I'll do, if I can just get a hold of her hands, I can help her up. But then I got to think another fleeting second. That if I got her hands and she got started up and she went back down and she had a hold of my hands, I had no idea what one of her laps I was going to land in. I had no idea. I had no idea where I thought all these thoughts, Lord, that wouldn't be good. Somebody come in. I'm, you know, I'm sitting in this dear lady's laps. But finally on the third one, she worked hard and she got up and she walked slowly to the door. When she got to the door, she said, we'll see you Sunday. Well, I thought this is Friday. If she gets started tomorrow, it's seven miles to the church. <laughs> she'll, she'll probably get there by Sunday morning. That'll be great. You know what I did, young people? I got in the car so encouraged. I went right to, no, I went right home. Talked to God again. God, I spent five years of my life giving my lifeblood at God's Bible school. And Lord, how can I build a church on these kind of people? What can I do? And I began to pray and just feel sorry for myself that I didn't have somebody better to work with. And God again said, would you love these people for me? Yeah, Lord, I'll do my best to love them. I'll try if you'll help me, Lord. I took courage on Saturday. Never forget it. Got in my car. This is the lady that had her husband that wasn't saved, but she was a saint of God. And let me just go on record to tell you right here. I wish right now I had a whole church full of Effie Barnes. But when I got to her little humble home, I looked out in the garden as I pulled up, and there's this lady out there. Got a long dress on, you know, and it's 90 degrees, and I again have my three-piece suit on, you know. It is hot outside. I mean, it is scorching. 90-some degrees, but, you know, I've got to be just right and got to make the right appearance, you know. And so I looked over there, and sure enough, there's this gal over there, and she looks a little unique because, you know, I thought, well, maybe that's her. No, it can't be her because, well, the reason was because it's 9 degrees weather. Not only does she have a nice long dress on, but she has two wool sweaters on. She's got two silk scarves on. None of them match. And she had a pair of wool boots on. I thought, well, this lady, you know, something wrong with her. 
She thinks she's in Alaska or something. And so I just bypassed and went up and knocked on the door. As I knocked on the door, I heard, I heard it. All of a sudden, I heard somebody go, well, glory to God. Preacher, God has sent you here. We've been praying for six months. And I looked over there and here came that same lady with those scarves and blue boots on, you know, and sweaters. And, and she came out and had a lapor on and she pulled the apron up and wiped her hands off. She ducked, put her hands in a water bucket, you know, and, and got the dirt off and she dried them on her apron. And she came over and she's just kind of waving her hand. She said, oh, God's going to help us here. And while she looked odd as a $3 bill and odd as could be, I could sense immediately, young people, she had the goods. Oh, there was something about her that rang, and I just, that's great. And I was encouraged. Oh, but I thought, Lord, you know, this will be all right, because I know when she comes to church, she'll look normal. I'll never forget the first Sunday morning. Sister Eula started on Saturday. <laughs> I suppose. But I remember as we got there, of course, here come Mr. and Miss Henderson. They, come, they came driving up. He was not a Christian and his white little wife was as little as she could know. And, and I found out later from some of the people in the church there that he actually married her for because of the, you know, the, the social security check that he would get. And, and she was just a sweet little gal, but just not a lot there. And they came in the church and there he was, his old glasses kind of on at a 45. I got to look at him. His ears were even at a 45. He'd been so long. He was filthy, dirty. He got in the church and he sat down, never smiled, never did anything. And she was just kind of happy and, you know, just kind of, you know, looking around. This is going to be great. And then I see Miss Eula come in and, and bring little Norma. And she actually, she has a walker and she's walking in. And really, she wasn't quite as big as I put on, but she needs a good size. And she came in and sat down very slow. Norma sits beside her. She's all excited. Effie Barnes makes her way in. My wife's playing the freely music and we're going to start singing, but there's nobody leading to sing, and so I did. So I decided we got that ready and we're going to have Sunday school, but nobody to teach a Sunday school lesson, so I taught it. And, and then when I got that finished, we went into regular service and I was going to have somebody lead the singing for worship, sir, but nobody there, so I did. And, and then I got ready to take an offering. You take tithe and offering and no off, no God to take offering, so I did. And I preached too. You say, how did you do it, preacher? Well, it wasn't one of those things that you just all of a sudden say, thank God I'm here. But it was one of those day-by-day processes where God said, I want you to love them. But I want you to do more and just say it. I want you to get in their lives. I said, Lord, I'll try. I'll never forget. God began to probe on me to go see the Hendersons and go visit them. I went to him. I went to their door, went to their house, and I'd never been inside the house, you know, and it was honestly, friend, it was so filthy, germs wouldn't even live in there. I really, it was absolutely dirty. But I'll never forget as I got up on the porch, knocked the door, here, knocked on the door, and he came up, and he opened the door, and he looked at me as if I was some stranger. He said, preacher? I said, yeah, Mr. Henderson, how are you doing? I said, fine. I said, say, I just came over to visit you. See how you're doing? And he made some kind of remark like, Ain't never had no pastor do that much. I said, man, 
Well, I said, I, I just wanted to see how you're doing. So he invited me in. It was funny. He said, have a seat. So I looked around. There was no place to sit. All the chairs were full of papers and books and whatever. I have no idea. So I just picked one that looked like a chair. I began to clean it off. And I put it all on the floor. And I found a chair. I sit down. In came his little wife. Oh, and she came in. And she's clapping her hand. And she said something like this. Wouldn't you like a cup of coffee? Wouldn't you like a cup of coffee? I said, sure, I'll take a cup of coffee. I like coffee. There'll be coffee in heaven, I'm sure. Somebody say amen, please. Thank you. Oh, Brother Wolf, bless his heart. I, I said, yeah, I'll take a cup of coffee. So sure enough, here she came with this cup of coffee. <laughs> when she brought me the cup, either she or her husband, one of them used it for breakfast. It had the lip marks on it, you know. I looked at it and I said, oh, Lord. So she gave it to me. So I swooped it around the other side. There's lip marks there, too. I said, what am I going to do? So I said a little prayer. Do a little blessing, you know, over there, something. I said, Lord, I guess I'll try to drink it. And when I put it up to my lips, it was ice cold. I hate ice cold coffee. But they turned it off that morning and she'd forgotten about it, you know. But she's bringing, had cream and sugar in it and she had it all stirred up. And, and I'm talking to him and I'm drinking this thing and I'm about halfway down and, and something jumps up and spits at me. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> oh, there was stuff in there floating, you know, that wanted it more than I did. I thought, Lord. I don't know if I can do this. And I got a little not talking. I was real nice and polite and sweet. And I'm drinking a little bit at a time. And my mother always told me, you know, you, you, you know, hold your breath and hold your nose. When you, but I couldn't do that in front of them. But I got it almost down. I wasn't going to get it to the bottom. Mm-mm. I had no idea what I was going to find on the bottom of that cup. I didn't want to know either. And then she saw me almost, and I set the cup over. She walked over to me. She said, can I get you another one? Can I get you another one? I said, no way. Immediately, young people, God of heaven sent me, I mean, a message. One cup of coffee for you a day. No more. I said, yes, Lord. I'm sorry, ma'am. I can only drink one cup a day. Oh, I thought, Lord, help me. I said, no, I'll do all right. That'll be just fine. As I was getting ready to leave, the Lord was just probing, I want you to use it. Now, I know this may go against theology or may get principle, oh, I don't know. But he wasn't a Christian. But he was the only man in the church. And I looked at him as I left and I said, Mr. Henderson, you know, I need a man just like you. He looked at me and said, who me? I said, Yeah. I said, you know, I need a head usher. I mean, we were booming at the sides. We had 14 on something. You know, I, I, I said, you know, I need a head usher to, to come in my church and, and to kind of stand back there. And, and he said, well, what do I do? I said, man, that, that's no problem. You come in. I said, put your tie on, you know, get all cleaned up, come in there and stand beside me. And, and, and when people come in, you know, you, you shake their hand and welcome them to our church. And then if they need a place to sit down, you help them. And then, you know, when I take the offering, I want you to be my head usher. And I promise you, he looked at me and said, you mean you want me to do that? I said, yeah, man, I want you to do that. He said, ain't no pastor never wanted me to do nothing. I 
I said, oh, Mr. Henderson, they just, you know, they must have missed something. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I said, you know, they, they're, oh, yeah, you're my, you, you're my main man. He's the only man. I said, I want you to help me. He said, all right, I will. You know what? Sunday morning he came. He'd gone back somewhere in his closet. I don't know where he found it, but he found this jacket that was black and white checkered. You could play chess on the front, checkers on the back. <laughs> it was all wrinkled and wadded up, you know, but he found it. He got his, his something and got his glasses pretty well cleaned, and they were almost straight on his face, not quite. He tried to run a comb through his hair. And honestly, the first time I saw him, he had enough grease to crank a bus, man. I mean, it was, it was awful. But he kind of tried to clean up, you know, and he, he got this. I, I'd say, I heard people talk about him, but he got this bib tie on. Had a golf course on one side and, you know, a road map on the other. It was huge and it was all wrinkled and, and curled and, you know, obviously needed ironed out. And he got this shirt that was one time a, a white shirt, but it was now yellow by years and it was all wrinkled. He got a pair of trousers on, but he pulled out of somewhere. He even got a pair of dress shoes that were all scuffed up and ready to throw away almost. But he came to church ready. He walked up there and he said, what do you think, preacher? And I said, man, you're looking good. He said, what, what do I do, you know? And I could almost see him all of a sudden pick up. I said, look, look, mister, I, I want you to stand right here. I, I want you to stand right there, and, I, and I'm going to stand right beside you. And when people come in, I want you to shake their hand and say this, welcome to our church. He said, all right, I will. The first ones that came in was Sister Eula and Norma. They evidently had started on Friday because they was there early that morning. <laughs> and they got there and they walked in and Mr. Henderson just wasn't in the habit of doing a lot of smiling. And they walked by and I shook their hand and they were glad to, you know, thank, good to see you, Pastor. And then they got by me and Mr. Henderson stuck out his hand and said, welcome to our church. Mr. Zula looked at him and grabbed his hand and shook his hand and just held on and went, She dropped his hand. She walked by and I heard her say to little Norma, what happened to him? <laughs> you know what happened to Mr. Henderson? Someone said, I need you. God loves you. And we need you for this church. Just a little bit of God's love goes a long way. He stood out. I mean, he was just as proud as could be. God had helped us. We'd been working it. I would average somewhere on a Saturday around 60 to 70 doors every Saturday. I mean, I just beat and beat on doors. And I got into a real rich section and rich section got, and got this lady come in. She was, she was quite wealthy. You know, we, our entire tithe for the month was around 200. That was everybody's together. And I think the payment on the church was over 200. So our salary was out of that. <laughs> That was good, wasn't it, from the church? Of course, I found a job and was trying to provide for myself that way. But this particular Sunday morning, I called Mr. Henderson to come and take an offering for us. He made his way up the front and stood there and kind of put his hand behind his back, and I gave him the offering plates. And <clears throat> I'll never forget, I looked over and I said, Sister Eula, would you pray for us, please? And so there she is. She grabs the back of the pew. <laughs> Back down, she went. 
It always took her three times. <laughs> but finally she got up and she stood up and she said something like this. She said, oh, Lord, thou knowest our ways are not your ways. And when she was taking a breath, she'd do that slow too. Mr. Henderson thought she was finished. I didn't know he was hard of hearing. So he turned around and started taking the offering. I'm up on the platform. I'm going, no, 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 no. Mr. Henderson, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> and he's not listening to me. In fact, he's poking people in the ribs, got their head down. Come on, put your money in here. He's going right down. And he got right back to the middle where, where Miss uh, Sister Garris was praying. And then she got on and, Lord, your ways are not our ways. And he realized she was still praying. All of a sudden he went, hmm. oh, excuse me. <laughs> Bowed his head. I thought, oh, Lord. Oh, God. And you know what? That real rich lady was in there. And God forgive me, but I was thinking, this is going to blow it. This is going to blow it. I mean, it, she never did come back. I don't know if it's because of the way he took an offering. I think it's because she said I was too loud. But I went through time and time and time again. But you know what, young people? As we learn to love those people, did you hear what I said? As I learned to love those people. I thought I just loved everybody. I mean, I could just take anybody in. But God gave me a love for those people that I would just try to reach out to them and they became my friends and I became their friend. And God began to bless a little Jimmy Ruth Duncan who was a little lady that, that you know, just really a hillbilly of hillbillies. I went over to see her and I went back time and time again and Tommy, Tommy was her husband and, and he had real, I mean he had very, very bad eyes and they did not have, you know, the, the type of glasses they did today and so his glasses were real thick and, and he was just kind of a roly-poly guy and he'd come in, I'll never forget it. Here I am, brother, I'll never forget it. He loved to watch the Night Rider. Does anybody knows about that? But I remember he'd come, I'd go in there. He'd say, come on in, preacher. Sit down here and watch the Night Rider with me. I thought, oh, God. Oh, I'm young. I'm not supposed to look at this. But I remember as I'm in there trying to talk to him, and I'd work with him. They brought me this cheesecake. They had cats everywhere. Yeah, you guessed it. They gave me this cheesecake. Then instead I had cherries on top, it had those other things. Cat hairs everywhere. And I thought, now Lord, how am I going to do this? It's one thing to drink a cup of coffee, but I have no idea what it's about, and I don't know yet. But if I get into this thing, it's not going to make it. I don't know. And I don't know how I did, but I worked and somehow worked around it. And, and finally I got through it, and we talked to them about God and brought them to church, and they came. And, one night at 10.30 in the evening, Jimmy Ruth called and said, Preacher, would you come? She said, I want to get saved. 
She said, I want to get my children in. I said, I'll be right over Jimmy Roof. I ran to her house and we prayed her through that night and she became a new creature in Christ Jesus. It was thrilling to watch God move and pretty soon this one came and that one came and we were moving up in attendance. Oh, we weren't knocking the doors down, that's for sure, but we were growing gradually. They decided they were going to get us a van. Oh, that's great. We've got us a problem now. We can't get everybody in. And so I'm out knocking on the doors, bringing in children. I'd get, and we had no way of getting them there because my car was full. And, and I would actually run out and pick them up in the morning. And after Sunday school, I'd run them home while they waited on me. And I'd run back and run up to the pulpit to try to preach. And then you see these two ladies, my board was Sister Barnes, Sister Effie Barnes, and Sister Eula Garris. And actually, Sister Eula Garris was a very, very sharp lady as far as intelligence. She had things together, and she loved God. She really did. Effie Barnes, true to the word and true to what we felt when she came in on a Sunday morning, if I'd call on her to pray, I mean she would pray and bring heaven and earth together. And we had some wonderful times in that time we were there. We got together and they said, Brother Weatherall, we've got to have to get us a van. I, I, you know, we, we've got to get these people in. I said, all right, let's do What are we going to do? And they said, well, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to, have to go to the bank and get a loan. And so she, they said, you find a van and we'll go get a loan. I said, all right. I went looking in the papers. I went and called on the phone. I found this beautiful maroon van. I don't know, it was 73, 74. I think it was a 12-passenger van. They wanted $2,000 for it. So I remember going to them and I said, listen, they want 2000 They said, well, let's go to Spain. I said, all right. So I want you to picture this, young know, people. Every time Sister Effie Barnes came to church, she still had those scarves on and those sweaters, those wool boots. I guess it was just part of her dress. And so we're going down to First National Bank to get this loan. And so I decided, first of all, to go pick up Sister Garris. You know, she was slow, and so I went and knocked on the door. I mean, when she came out, I'm, she's walking around slowly. I didn't know which door to put her in. I was kind of measuring, see where I get, you know. We got her into the back seat, <laughs> closed the door. We went down on, down on the other place of town and got Sister Effie Barnes, and here we go down to First Nash. I'm friend, this is the swankiest bank I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it had palm trees growing up in them, but you know, it was swanky glass everywhere. We get out of that, and I got one nice lady on one side and one nice lady on the other side. She's got two scarves on and wool sweater. I mean, you know, both sweaters, and, and you know, we're light and wool boots, and here we are, marching our way up to the bank. On the other side is good old Sister Garris with her walker, and I'm escorting them both in. Hallelujah. I look at the door, and I say, now we got problems. How are we going to do this? And so I kind of look at both of them. I kind of wiggle around and I got one door and Sister Effie got the other. We let Sister Eula go through and then we followed and I got in. I promise you, those people at the bank, I know what they were thinking. Hey guys, the three stooges just came in. I got a three-piece suit on, every hair in place, you know, and I got these ladies with me and we're at the First National Bank. And we're just standing there in the middle of the office. And they're looking at me and I'm looking at them. We're all smiling. And I thought, well, I might as well go ahead and jump in. So I walked over to the, one of the receptionists over there. And she said, can I help you, sir? And she's kind of giggling, you know. And I said, yes, sir. Yeah, you can help me. Listen, uh, I'd like to get a loan. She said, you would? I said, yeah. 
I said, I'd like to talk to the president. She said, the president. I said, yeah, see, I don't mess around. When I go, I get what I need, see? I said, I won't talk to you. She said, just a minute. I'll be right back. And she made her way down that little back of the counter, and she went through this little half door and through another one, and she went back in this big, swanky office that was nothing encased with glass, you know, and a big, huge desk and a big old leather back chair. And, and I mean, this guy sitting back there, you know, the dignity man need deep. And she's whispering some things to him. And I can see him kind of looking around and smiling too big. He kind of shook his head and kind of whatever, you know. And, and so she came around smiling. He said, he'll, he'll see you. Go ahead on in. Can I ask you a question? I don't know if there's anybody here that's ever designed banks. And when they go into banks, why they do what they do. But I went into his office. He's got one of the biggest desks I've ever seen. Behind his desk, he's got enough room to do jumping jacks, you know, do flips, do whatever he needs to do, kick back, put his feet up. He looks at me with these two beautiful ladies and says, have a seat. And I look over there and they got these three little bitty chairs. Ding, ding, ding. All squeezed together against the wall and he expects all three and a half of us to get in there. And I thought, what am I going to do? And I looked at them and they looked at me. And so we decided to let Sister Eula go ahead and sit down first. See what we needed, what was left, you know. So she walked in, I'll never forget. And she sat down and I promise you, friend, she's halfway on my seat. I thought, and I was a skinny boy back then. I really was. So I kind of turned sideways and sat down. And kind of, the other, the other gal came and sat right next to me. And this guy looked right at us and kind of smiled and said, can I help you? I said, yes, please, quick. We told him what we wanted. We got it alone. He didn't think we would. But see, both of those ladies had their own homes paid for for years. They had a good credit record. And, and so they had good backup money. And so the guy said, we'll let you know within, within an hour. We had our $2,000. We left, went and got our van. I went and pulled it back, went down to the lumber yard. I got two pieces of plywood, cut it in half. I painted it. And I put four holes in the side of each of the van. And I put metal screws in it. And I put that sign right on that, painted on there, Church of the Bible Covenant, First Church. Put my name on there and phone number. We began to fill her up. You know what? God began to bless. People began to get saved. And I watched Jimmy Ruth come and bring some of her family and then bring some more of her grandkids. And, and God was actually blessing our ministry. There was one time we had, I don't know, actually, if you had 45 people in there, we'd pretty well pack that little church out. There was no windows in it. It wasn't hardly big enough to have windows. But I mean, it was a plus little place. But we just, we'd, we'd get to the point where we'd almost fill it up. Oh, we didn't do it every Sunday, but God was helping us. And we would get maybe 25 and 30 and, oh, we was excited and God was blessing. And I remember on one service, my wife, bless her heart, she was playing the piano, the prelude music, and I'm setting up on the platform. It's kind of one of those little cut-in type things with your little study in a room on each side of the platform, you know. And so she's kind of around the corner down there playing the piano, and all of a sudden I hear her quit playing, and she just kind of, with one finger, you know, just kind of plucking away, and it's almost just kind of sporadic. Out in the world, what's, what's going on? And so I look down at her, and she literally has her head down on the keyboard, and she's laughing. I said, what is the matter? You know, I looked at her, give her all the sight. 
You all will learn those, believe me. You'll learn everything. <laughs> You'll learn when to stop, when to start, you know, when to shut up. <laughs> but I remember I was giving her all kinds of signs. Get up, quit it, stop it. We got people out here. And she said, I can't. And she pointed out to the congregation. Well, they were out of my view. I was sitting behind the podium and I couldn't see. And I happened to look around and there's those two little ladies, Sister Norma and Sister Little, little Sister, uh, uh, I can't, the other one, it was, both of them were kind of gone, you know. They're together and they're just having a wonderful time. They're up and kind of dancing around and they're just throwing themselves around. I thought, Lord. Oh, I put my head down. I shook my head. And I tried to get her to get her composure to go ahead and play. In spite of all of that, God helped us to love every one of them. Until we'd go to their house and we'd go to their homes and eat with them. And they just loved it. The day came when I knew I had to leave. And it wasn't a happy day. For I recall getting a phone call from the other church and I felt like that's what God wanted me to do. I went to church that morning, preached a little sermon. When I got finished, I gave my little resignation speech. I really didn't know how to do it. I gave my little speech and resigned and went running back, thought, well, that's to be it, you know, and I sat in the back. Nobody moved. Seemed like everybody just stood there. And all of a sudden, they all started to move just a little at a time. And I watched Mr. Henderson and his wife come back. He had transformed really into a different man. He was getting awful close to giving his heart to God. He'd smile and people would enjoy him. He'd just joke. And, but he grabbed my hand. And I'll never forget the look on his face as he looked me in the face. And he just held on. He said, Preacher, Preacher, can't you please stay? I said, Oh, Mr. Henderson, there's another man coming and he's a good man. He'll, he'll be all right. He's coming right on in and, and he'll be all right. And, and I, 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 I said, I'm sure you, you'll love him. Here's what he said. And young people, this has nothing to do with this preacher. But it has everything to do with God's love in your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself. Because you see, if they would have known how I felt when I first came, I don't know what their response might have been. But in my heart, my heart was smiting me. For he said something like this, preacher. There ain't never been nobody that loved us. Like you do. Won't you please stay? I said, Mr. Henderson, they'll come, they'll love you. I mean, this fellow's saved, he's sanctified, he's a preacher. No, preacher, he won't. They just don't care much for us around here. It just won't happen. I said, oh, yeah, it will. I promise it will. I just know it will. You don't worry about it. He said, all right. He shook his head and went on. His little wife was crying. 
Sister Eula came by. Sister Norma came by. Sister Effie Barnes, Jimmy Ruth, Tom. I could go on down the line of many that came that night or that morning. And about every one of them said something like this, won't you just stay around? And that night, when I went back, my wife didn't want to go. We both crying half the day. Aaron was still a baby, obviously, and we don't there about a year. And I'll never forget that night. Little old sister uh, Henderson came in and hardly had much sense at all, but as we're filing out for the last time, he grabs my hand again and said, Preacher, are you sure you can't reconsider? I said, Mr. Henderson, I promise you, I'll not leave here until I know there's a man coming. I said, I, I think there is. As far as I know, it's been confirmed. I just have to talk to him. No, he said, I want you to stay. I said, well, I just feel like God wants me to go. And on went on the story. And his little wife came by. She had this most awful, dirty little stuffed animal. It was filthy. It used to be pink. But now it's a filthy, kind of a faded pink, faint, almost a white, yet a cream, just filthy, dirty. But you know what she said? She came by my wife and hugged her. She said, I want to give, I want to give the baby a present to go away. And she took that filthy, dirty, I don't know where she found it, but she wanted to give a gift of love. And she held it out to little Aaron. And I'll be honest with you, my response was, no. No, I can't let him have that thing. If he grabs it, you know what babies do with anything they put in their hands, it goes right to their mouth. And I knew that's what was going to happen. But just as sure as I'm standing there, it was though God said to me, and I know some are going to say, preacher, you were just stupid. But Aaron's alive and well today. But he grabbed that little thing and put it right up to his little face and he was just happy as could be. And I'm sitting there thanking them, not daring to act like I was even bothered by that filthy little animal. And the words came to me as least as much as you've done it unto the least of these. You've done it unto me. Oh, for God, send somebody to love these people. God, teach him to love them. They're a sheep without a shepherd. The two generals called me that day one evening and told me who was coming I asked them for his address or his phone number. They said, well, Mike, that's all right. You don't need his phone number. We'll give him the directions how to get there. He'll be there on Wednesday. And I said to those two fellows, I, and again, it, I don't know what you call it. Uh, maybe, I don't know, Brother Avery. Maybe it was insubordination or something. But I said to both of those guys, they were both on the phone. And I said, fellas, you might as well give me his number. Because if you don't give me his number, I will find out where he is. I will find out where he lives because I'm going to talk to him. Now, Mike, you really don't need to do that. That's all right. We've got it all taken care of. I said, I'm sorry. But I want to talk to him. And I want him to know that if he's going to come here, he's going to have to love them and give himself for them. 
And they finally gave in, knowing that I was going to get it, whether they gave it to me or not. They gave me the number I called him. And he was just a little put off with me asking some questions like, I just want you to know, do you love people? Do you love God with all your heart? Man, do you, do you love everybody? He just was not happy. Come on, Mike, man. You know I do. I mean, no matter. Are you sanctified? I mean, you've got the goods. Cars, man, come on. Right. And he was just really upset with me asking those questions. And I said, man, I want to tell you something. These people need somebody to come in here and love them. And if you don't want to love them, don't come. I'll stay. He said, oh, that's crazy. That's all. And he had heard a few reports on how God evidently had helped. And, and honestly, we weren't knocking the walls out. We were ready to build yet. But God was helping. And there was converts. And God was blessing the ministry. He came. We made our way north. He was there two weeks. The phone rang. One of the brand new converts, little Jimmy Ruth Duncan. She called and she was weeping. Here's what she said, young people. She said, oh, preacher, won't you please come back? Won't you please come back? I said, Jimmy Ruth, what's the matter? And here's what she said. Preacher, he doesn't love us. He doesn't love us. I said, I'm sure he does. You've not given him time. Just wait a little while. He'll love you. I know that he will. And she said, no, he doesn't. I've called him and tried to ask him questions like I would ask you. And he just told me a little while ago that was a stupid question. And he's working too many hours to put up with dumb questions like that. And hung up the phone on me. Preacher, I just want you to come back. I said, Jimmy. Just hold on. Maybe somebody can talk to him. Maybe, maybe somebody can help him. And, or maybe you just misunderstood him. I tried my best to put the best light on him. Not very long, I got another call from one of the others. And they were saying stuff like this, come back. Because we know that you loved us. Brother Avery, I knew I loved them then. But I knew that when I left the school and I thought I loved everybody, that when I got out there, I found out, God, I need more of your love. I need you to help me and teach me to love everybody. Easy to do that now in the setting in which we are. That fellow decided that he didn't like the setting. He decided he needed a break and left his car in the city. He took the van. And by the way, let me tell you quickly, and I'm hurrying. In two months, we paid that van off. You know how? On one Sunday morning, little Effie Barnes came just as poor as poor can be. Just hardly had two pennies to rub together. But somehow over in the state of Kansas, she sold a house years ago and somehow the taxes didn't come through. And so she got a check in the mail for the back taxes and it was like four or $500. She came to church one morning just a few weeks after we got the van. 
She got up to testify and she said, oh, preacher. She said, I just want you to know something. I've been praying this morning and God has told me, you know, we've got this van and God's helping us to fill it up. She said, I, I was going to put some money on it. But she said, when I got to praying about it this morning, God told me to put 10%. No. No, she said, God told me just to write the check over to the church. We want to pay that van off. We shouted. We praised God. The very next week, Sister Eula Garris came. Something weird or odd, I don't know what happened, almost the same type of thing, only it was about twice as much, somewhere around almost $1,000. She stood up, testified, began to weep. And she said, you know, Pastor, God has been so good to us here and God is helping us and people are getting in. And she said, you know, what God has told Sister Heffy, God has told me he wanted me to give it all to the church. And I can testify to you, those ladies did not have it to give. That could have meant a lot of wonderful things for them. But they gave it because they loved the church. This fellow took this wonderful van and two... Actually, in two months, things like that happened, and we had it totally paid for. Had the title. It was wonderful. But he decided he didn't like what was going on. He just needed a break. And got in the van, made his way down south somewhere. I don't know where he went. But it was in the, evidently in the wintertime, and it got cold, and he never checked the, the, the antifreeze, and pretty soon the water froze, and, it, and the block busted. He came back and somehow he got back and he told those ladies that one day in church, he said, listen, he said, that was a piece of junk anyway. He said, there was really not much to it. He said, I went in and paid $50 for somebody to haul it away for junk. And these ladies had given and given and given. You know what he said? I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I love God with all of my heart, my mind, my soul, everything. And my neighbor is myself. I'm not exactly sure how many months it was, but it was not even a year that church was closed again. And those dear people were scattered, sheep without a shepherd. As far as I know, it never opened again into a holiness work. I think it was eventually sold. And for the next three years, I got a phone call from this one and that one had passed away and that one had gone on. And many of them said they died. Their heart was broken. Their church was gone. And I ask you a question. Do we love God with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul? Do we really love our neighbor as ourselves? Preacher, easy to say here. Easy to say in school. Easy to read the word of God. But young people, while in our own hearts, we know that we do and we feel with all within us. I want to give you a challenge tonight. I want to give every one of you a challenge to say, God, make me fruitful in thy vineyard. Help me not to pick and choose who I'd like to save. 
Help me not to just find the one that I think are nice people, but somehow help me to have an all-inclusive love that will reach down to the down and outer, to the rich, to whoever they are. Well, you see, young people, Jesus said it very clearly that if you love me with your whole heart, your mind, and your soul, then the second is likened to the first. Just as important that you love your neighbor as yourself. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.